Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Most people don't, but you do. It's stories and conversations about people taking exceptional actions to get things done and help others. My name is Bart Berkey. I am the founder and CEO of Most People Don't. We're a motivational storytelling company that encourages people to do what most people don't. Today, absolutely thrilled to be joined by the founder of Project Save Hospitality. He's a hotelier, an account director, and most importantly, committed to helping those in need. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Kingsley Egbuchanam. Welcome, Kingsley. Thank you, Bart. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, we were we were talking um, a little bit about hitting before we hit the record button, basically about um, all the things that he has been doing to help others. And I think that is critically important, especially with what is happening in the hospitality industry and helping with uh, happening with so many people. But Kingsley, you have a really interesting story. Um, I want to go back to just asking you. Why did you first get involved with hospitality? What was the impetus to make you want to get into this lovely, fun, yet crazy industry? This crazy industry. It's interesting because, um, you know, I went to school and I got a marketing degree and really didn't have hospitality in my mind at all. Uh, but what happened was that uh, a year after graduating from school, I immediately went into grad school. And while I was in grad school, it was so tedious and just a lot of assignments and a lot of work. I needed a job that had some flexibility to allow me to, you know, do my thesis and do, you know, all that work that pertains to grad school. So a cousin said, you know what, work at the, work at the front of this, of this hotel that's, I think it was a few miles from uh, where he lived. And I was like, sure, let me look, let me look into it. And it was great because they allowed me to work where there was evening schedule, morning shift, um, shift during the day and I was able to still focus on on grad school and soon enough people at the hotel recognized I was a, a grad student they were like oh listen you're going to grad school that's amazing you should look into sales and I'm like what sales and I had no idea that you could actually be in the hotel and you know sell the inventory and you know market the hotel and it's funny because now when I speak to my family and friends about being a director of sales at a hotel they're always like are you selling hotels like it's real estate or are you, what are you doing? So it's funny that I had the same perception prior to actually getting into it and knowing what it was. Yeah. Okay. So it, it sounds like initially it was a job of convenience. Oh, right? totally. Right. So flexibility while you're getting your master's degree, but then obviously you fell in love with it. Why? I did because um, I've always been a people person. I, I really enjoy being around people. And, you know, initially working at the front desk, you, you know, I, I was able to form relationships with people who came in weekly for different reasons and people who were stuck and needed help, even just to like walk across the parking lot into their room. So I knew I enjoyed people, but I didn't know there was a industry that would allow me to really kind of hone that love for helping people. And then when I got into sales, um, you know, my interest peaked because now I was dealing initially with the Smurf market, which is a, a social mm -hmm. um, segment in hotels. And I was working with churches and um, people doing reunions and things of that nature. And, and I had so much power in making sure that their event or their group block was successful. And then that transitioned to, you know, forming relationships with corporate clients. And I just loved it because I was, I was always meeting people. I had to, you know, um, 
in a sense, be myself. I didn't have to really conform and change. Mm -hmm. I had to just be Kingsley, um, but be empathetic and care about their needs. And that really fell in line with what I enjoy doing. Yeah. And so on this podcast, we really kind of dive a little bit deeper to try to find out, and this mm -hmm. is something that I've been fascinated with for the last 20 years, yeah. what motivates people to, to do certain things, to take action, and then to, to motivate, to inspire. In what you are saying, it's about helping other people. So whether it was helping someone cross the parking lot, and if it, or if it was helping a group fulfill their meeting needs at yes. one of your hotels, where do you think that came from? Wow, honestly, I think it comes from my mother and my family. I was um, born and raised in Lagos, Nigeria. And my mom is just a, a wonderful philanthropist. She's, you know, she's very big in, in, her, in her church life. She was always involved in charity. And, um, you know, growing up, it sort of was natural for me to see this. I didn't think it was a big deal. Um, but as I sort of evolved in my maturity and in life, I found myself always, always trying to help people. You know, um, I was telling a colleague of mine the other day, I'm not a career coach or mm -hmm. I don't have like the certifications to be that, but I've done over a hundred resumes for my colleagues from years ago. And I've probably gotten over 50 people jobs in, in, in the past. And this was just as, you know, a regular Joe saying, Hey, listen, you know, I think you'd work, you'd be great at a hotel, you know, let me talk to you or it could be just through networking. So I've always done that, but I've, I never really recognized that I did it. Mm -hmm. So you, sometimes you do things in life and if someone asks you, are you always helping people with jobs? I, I, I would say no, it just was like a natural thing for me. Um, so yeah, it's sort of been my character. Uh, you know, I, I just love giving back. I love helping. And I think what I love most is I love people being able to maximize their ability. So you know, I'm not scared to see someone who's maybe career-wise under me shoot past me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm totally up for it. I think people should really maximize their God-given talents. And I've always um, been one to sort of, you know, lend a helping hand for that. Yeah. And things, as you just said, things happen for a reason that you are naturally looking. You're not a career coach or a career counselor, but you happen to be looking at hundreds of resumes from your friends yes. and helping more than half of them probably land jobs. Definitely. Um, yeah. I did not ask you last time we spoke about growing up in a different country outside of the United States. Sure. What age did you come to the United States? Sure. So um, my journey actually, so I was in Nigeria till I was 14, 15, and then I went to boarding school in England. Okay. So my, my high school years were at a boarding school in Thorpe, Surrey, a small village um, about 40 minutes outside of London, um, which was awesome because I was able to go to school with um, kids from about 60 different countries and ethnic backgrounds and nationalities. And I finally came to the States um, to attend university. So I went to UMass Lowell, and that was my first time actually living in the States was as a a freshman in college, about 18, 17 years old. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what was the transition like from Nigeria to the UK? What was that like? So first of all, it was, you left home, right? I left, boarding I school. left, I okay. left home. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 it was intense. Initially, my mom dropped me off and I was in this, again, it was a, it, London is a metropolitan town. England is, is, you know, a popular country, but I was in this small village in the boarding school, um, uh, you know, with, with kids from around the world, 
And although I assimilated rather quickly, the first few weeks was very tough because, you know, again, I was 14 years old. Um, the school was extremely rigorous academically. I mean, we had hours and hours of study hall. We had, a, a you know, a pretty tight um, uniform that we had to adhere to. We had a lot of different things, even just like the cold weather, for goodness sakes, was, <laughs> was a challenge. And the, the terrible boarding school food was not fun as well. But um, it turned out to be the best experience of my life because, um, you know, as part of the curriculum, we got to travel um, for history class and, and me being an athlete, I, got, I, had, I had the opportunity to travel for sports. So in any given year, I would do three or four different trips to Paris or Morocco or Greece, either for history class or to play basketball or to play soccer. So that sort of widened my horizon mm -hmm. in terms of just, you know, seeing different cultures, meeting people, also develop, developing a, a love for travel as well. So it was a wonderful experience. It was, it was challenging, but I loved every minute of it. Yeah, and that's probably what also helped give you exposure to the hospitality industry. It did, you yeah. Were, you were traveling, playing soccer. You were traveling, playing basketball for the boarding school. Yes. Okay, and so then the transition from the boarding school to Lowell, to so University of Massachusetts. To Lowell, yeah. Yeah, what, think, was, what, what was that like, and what are the takeaways? Uh, it was interesting. Lowell is like America's industrial, you know, baby, I guess. It's, it's a very interesting town. Um, small town in Massachusetts, um, a state school. So it was, it was very different from what I was accustomed to, you know, being in a small, you know, super diverse um, high school, you know, however, um, you know, I played basketball in college as well, which, which was good in terms of having structure and having that, that team chemistry and that team bond with a lot of my, my close friends now. And, um, yeah, it was just, just sort of a path for me to sort of try to decide what I wanted to do in the future. And, you know, time for me to grow up again. It was my, I guess, second country being away from home. So I was just maturing, trying to figure out my next step and was excited to see what the world had to offer. Yeah. And Kingsley, tell me about your, with your sports experience, were you able to incorporate that, any, any of those characteristics, any of your leadership into um, your hospitality roles, your leadership professional roles now? Yes, certainly. Um, you know, playing sports since a young age, I've always been, you know, a, a team guy. So um, yeah, I love working in teams and working in teams can obviously be a challenge because not everyone pulls their weight, but I've done it so long. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big cheerleader. I love to, you know, inspire people and get them to be on the same page. And I love cultivating ideas. I love being in a room and, and just sitting there for hours and, and, you know, trying to get ideas and, you know, it stems from, you know, playing, playing these, these sports and, you know, having to, to practice and for, for years and come to, come to campus weeks early and put in that sacrifice, mm -hmm. you know, you learn that at an early age um, through sports and um, also having respect for, you, you know, your coaches. I, I, I had some great coaches that really, I mean, to this day, they call me on the phone. They really taught me how to, to, you know, to respect, you know, someone who has the best interest for you. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the team, the, the team life was really, really something that I, you know, I, I take to this day and I always use it um, again with my team now at PSH, we were, were a tight unit and I use sort of that leadership skills that I learned uh, playing basketball um, when I work with the team. Yeah. And then we're, we're going to talk about Project Save Hospitality here in a moment. Um, being um, a, a leader, were you a leader 
on your sports teams? Were you a captain? Were you a leader? Um, yes, I, I was a senior captain. Um, but, you know, I, I always just found myself being the guy that um, everyone called me the, the good guy. Like I, I was just a guy to kind of instill, you know, good spirit to, to, the, to the team and make sure people were, you know, were doing the right thing. And, you know, if I saw someone on campus, you know, getting in trouble, I would, you know, I would care enough to pull them. You yeah. know, and say, hey, listen, yeah. we, we need you. So that's always that's always been sort of like the way I've approached thing. I, you know, I come from a big family. I'm, I'm one of five. So, you know, I'm always in everyone's ear. You know, yeah. whether, whether you whether you want to hear it or not, I'm telling you, listen, huh. this is not a good idea. Take it from me. Uh, and, that, and that was my my sense when I first met you a couple of weeks ago. Right. We we're talking about, um, you know, the, the good that you are doing. And that was my impression of you, that you're a good guy. Do you think that you can be a good guy and still be wildly competitive? Um, I, I think you can, yes. I think, I, think when you, I think when you're a good guy, people don't believe you can be that competitive, though. You know, I, 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 think, I think the good guy stigma is that, uh, we, you know, we finished second or we finished last. Mm-hmm. Or even even in the corporate world, I found working as a director of sort of marketing for all these great brands. I, it was it was same thing with sports, same thing with you know just everyday life. When you were when you tried to, when you tried to be as fair as possible and you know hear everybody out, people thought okay, this guy might not be the best leader. They wanted people who were just like had that um, just that I guess crass you know um, was cutthroat felt, right. Cutthroat, yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's interesting because people respect the cutthroat mentality, and and people sort of have like given a bad connotation to being kind. So it's, I I feel like you could be a leader and be kind and be a good guy, but I don't yeah. think that I don't think that's what's actually praised. I think it's the opposite. Yeah, and I think conversations like this for our sixteen thousand to twenty thousand listeners, Kingsley, I want to make sure that we're getting the message out that you can be a good person. And still, and still be competitive. And let me just share with you, we're talking about sports. So I played division one volleyball for Penn state. Ah, awesome. Recent, right. So we have, (laughs) we have some sports in common, Yes, we do. Uh, but, but recently I was able to watch um, my alma mater, Penn state play division one match against George Mason. And it was here in uh, Northern Virginia. And um, the coach I have known, actually, he was a coach of a rival high school when I was playing in high school. And so I watched him during the match and he was calm and he was collective and it went to five games and sadly Penn state lost and they were ranked higher than George Mason, this other school. But what I noticed is that he was calm and cool and collective the entire match. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't screaming. And then as soon as the match ended, he stood up now socially distanced. You're not allowed to cross over and handshake the other team, okay. but he made a point to stand up and clap in the direction of the other team. Like, like made a point. It was obvious. And I sent him a note afterwards and I was just so impressed by his kindness, his appreciation. There were a lot of varsity uh, seniors, rather seniors that were graduating. So mm-hmm. he wanted to pay respect and tribute to them sure. by letting him know. And then the last thing he did, I want to go off topic here, but when the team is done playing, Penn State uh, stays on the court and they stretch. He and his assistant coach went around 
and talk to every single player because he could tell the players were more upset than he was than he was perhaps upset yeah. right yeah um and uh and, and that just taught me i think a very valuable lesson about you can be a good person and be competitive you can yeah. be kind and still want to do well that's going to bring to what well, you have another comment with that before i bring the next question you yes agree? My, i totally agree and my comment would be that um being cutthroat doesn't mean that you want it more mm. And that's, that's, that's what people think. People think when you're cutthroat and you, you know, you're yelling or you're, you know, you're tough on your, um, on your employees, it means you want it more uh -huh. because you're showing that sort of passion. Yeah. And that's not true. I think you can be kind and have a, a different delivery and want it just as much, but you have a, a, a different way of, of showing it. Yeah. You know what? And then that kind of goes to the point of being concerned about how people view us. So do you need to be outwardly vocal and outwardly as a coach even, right? And, and I'm thinking to my, I, I happen to coach high school volleyball right now as well, the junior varsity team, undefeated, very, plow, very proud, very pleased, right? Love great, it. great girls, great young ladies, like the quality of these ladies, it's outstanding. They're great human beings as well as great players. Anyway, awesome. um, you know, I found myself um, trying to remain more calm. I'm a competitive person. My reaction when I would play, I was not always the most talented volleyball player, but I had the most spirit. I had the most drive. I had the most energy. I was the most explosive, I could, I, I guess I would say. Sure. And so I found myself coaching this season to try to be a little bit more quiet, a little bit more reserved, always supportive, always joking with the girls. Mm -hmm but then trying to motivate them in a certain way that I knew would kind of kick them into gear. And sometimes they did need me to be loud, not mad, but sure. loud. And mm -hmm. I would always tell them, but you know what, thinking back on it, Kingsley, like, was, was I doing it? And you know what? Oh, this is really interesting. Sorry, without getting into too much of me no, no. about you, my friend, this is great. But um, This year, because of the pandemic, there were hardly any um, fans permitted fans. In, okay. in, in the state, in the, the auditorium, not the auditorium, the gym. Yeah. Uh, and, but it was being broadcast. And I'm wondering if that allowed me to be more my natural confident self in coaching, as opposed to would parents be concerned if I was not as vocal, vocally energetic? Did I not cheer enough? Did I not um, encourage enough? Did I not clap enough? And in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. As long as the girls were having a great experience, and they were learning and getting better. That's all that matters. So thanks for bringing that open. I'm, I'm so glad you made me think of that. Kingsley. No, that's great. I mean, that that change in the environment might have sparked something in you that actually showed you that's the best way for you to actually approach what you do. So it's yeah. amazing. No, very fun. Um, all right. So Kingsley, back to you. Back to you. So senior sales manager, Doubletree Hotel, JFK Airport. Yeah. Corporate group and transient sales manager at the New Yorker, getting promoted, promoted, promoted. Mm -hmm. Director of sales and marketing, TRYP by Wyndham. Director of sales and marketing, Hyatt Hotels for four years and 10 months at the Park South Hotel. Crazy times, crazy times. And yeah. now, founder, project, save hospitality. Um, you are still, um, you're still doing multiple jobs, correct? Yes, uh, I mean I should be back on on property in a few weeks actually. At the, Excellent. 
yeah, Park South Hotel, which is great news. It's great news because hotels are opening up, so we're happy to hear that. Yeah, and in the meantime, during any time that you were off or when the hotel was closed, you and a couple of your industry friends started Project Save Hospitality. Yeah, we sure did. Uh, we started it in October 2020, and that was when um, I was officially laid off. I was furloughed in March when most of the hotels were furloughed in New York City, but I was kept on to work a uh, rotating schedule. So I, I worked on another six months or so. But by October, we, we decided that we weren't going to open up till, I guess, sometime this year. And um, so I was completely laid off. And um, my, my other founder, Melissa Dalbano, uh, we had a conversation and, and, you know, we were like, this is, this is terrible. She was just laid off. You know, I had, I had laid off my colleagues, my sales coordinator, my sales manager, you know, and it was like, a, it was a sad time for everybody. And we're like, this is crazy. It's, it's October, things don't look like it's getting anywhere. What can we do? And we just sat down and said, let's, let's, try, to, let's try to help out. You know, why not? Um, it, it was kind of like a, a bold statement because how do you help out? And mm -hmm. then Project Safe Hospitality was born. And, you know, initially our mission was that we wanted to celebrate hospitality professionals one because we're like, this industry is being devastated and it's an industry of wonderful people. I'm sure you know that, Bart. Amazing mm -hmm. people, talented people. So we wanted to celebrate them, one. And two, we wanted to give them confidence. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we get so stuck in being almost, you know, heroes and working so hard and working seven days out of a week and working long schedules. And, you know, if you're in sales, flying across the country and it, it, to you, it, it becomes nothing. You're so used to it. You, you feel like you're not doing anything special. And we're like, we want to tell, tell our colleagues that like, you guys are truly special and you should be confident that those skills mean something and those skills can actually transfer to other industries. Mm -hmm. uh, we were at a point where hotels were closing every day. Hospitality, if you watch the news, people were saying, oh, it's going to be till 2023. All these like just really, really um, dreaded numbers. And we're like, listen, People who've been in this industry for so long have the ability, if they have, if they have the desire, they can shift to any industry that they want to. So we set out to um, get that message across, you, you know, give them the confidence, explain to them what their transferable skills are. And that really sort of brought about us providing resources like resume, um, resume workshops, career coaching. And then our big finale, February 10th, is that we actually produced a virtual career fair where we were able to pair job seekers with industries that were outside of hospitality and for them to sort of merge together and for people to get jobs and again, create this wellness in their life where they're not sitting at home, not working, you know, worried about the pandemic, where they, they're able to be proud of what they're doing. So that was really um, our mission is to help people that were in need in our industry. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, great, great job. Right. So Thank it's um, Kingsley and Melissa was the other. Yes. Melissa Dalbano. Yes. Melissa. So great I, founder. Uh, yeah. Melissa will get, get to listen to this, I'm sure. But thank you to you both for, for doing this. And that's certainly an unselfish act probably goes back to you liking to help people. Can, <laughs> can you share with us the results from your first career fair? Um, did, did, do we have any success stories to share? We do. Yes. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the good news initially is that we had uh, 280 people attend, which was an amazing number. 
Uh, we had 15 companies um, exhibit. We had 215 people actually move on to the second round of interview. Wow. And uh, I know to this day we have um, five people who were confirmed um, working. And um, those five, too, they were able to get an actual promotion in terms of like lifting up their career. Wow. Uh, we have a few people who um, got uh, positions at Brazen, who, funny enough, is the uh, virtual career platform that we use. They're, they're a startup company. And some of our followers were able to get really cool uh, positions at that company. So we're, we're super excited. Um, and we're excited for the next one too, which, which is gonna be focused uh, a little bit more on hospitality companies as well. You know, we just want people to be able to, to get jobs. We want people to be able to feel better about their current situation. And we wanna celebrate our amazing professionals. So it's, it's been a labor of love just pairing these job seekers and, and getting these exhibitors to be on board is, is something me and my team have to really work hard to do, but we love every minute of it. And, you know, we also love what, what we're doing in terms of providing the workshops. We've, we've had three workshops to date. Uh, we did, we did a resume workshop, uh, LinkedIn workshop, which was amazing. It shows you how to enhance and, um, you know, sort of lift up your LinkedIn profile. We've done an interview tips, uh, workshop. And we provide these workshops for free. So um, it's so much value for people who are looking to sort of improve um, their skills and just be more equipped um, to be able to get their, their next job. Well, and I don't know if I've offered my services, but as a former Ritz-Carlton recruiter, if you want me to jump on a call or set up a workshop, I'm happy to let people know about the importance of follow-up. You know, oh, and, that's, and that's, that was, my, that's my mantra, right? Most people don't do certain things. Yes. And what I was finding is that most people don't follow up. They don't do what they say they're going to do. So when people are interviewing for jobs, mm -hmm. follow up is so important. And yeah. I, I share this story about talking to 50 well-qualified candidates, waiting to see who would follow up a few days later. Only 10 people sent an email. Wow. And I stress to the importance, Kingsley, of a follow-up thank you email takes 1.7 seconds. It's nine sure. strokes. That's it. Guess what? Everyone has time for 1.7 seconds. Yeah. You, you have nothing to lose by, by sending a quick email, sending yes. your thoughts. Yeah. Right. Right. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. All right. Well, Kingsley, um, if individuals want to find a, out a little bit more about Project Save Hospitality, um, where is the best place for them to look? Sure. So you can um, find us on, on our website, projectsafehospitality.org. Okay. Um, you'll get all the information there. However, uh, as you know, social media is, is the biggest thing these days. So you can find us on social, on LinkedIn, under Project Safe Hospitality, same under Facebook. Um, we're very active on social media. So you'll see just our updates, our posts. You'll, you, you'll be able to see our next workshop and hopefully that will include you, Bart. We'll have you soon <laughs> on, the, on a, a Zoom call talking about follow-up. And you'll also see um, what I do uh, a lot is I interview hospitality professionals. I do a weekly or bi-weekly, and it's really uh, a video interview with um, my colleagues in, in, the, in the industry, just telling their stories. And, you know, people really have taken to it because it shows how special we are and it, it, people get to learn uh, people's journeys. And, and I think it gets people... Uh, you know, point of reference, either to be inspired or to just kind of see people like them on the screen. Uh, so if you follow us on social, you'll get to see those videos as well. 
And here's the great thing that you all, are, that you and Melissa and your other coworkers are doing with Project Safe Hospitality, that often us as hospitality people, we give so much. <laughs> we give so much to others. And when a time where so much was taking away, taken away from us, it's nice that I think people are more open-minded to receive. Hospitality people are open to receive. They can receive help now because yes. we need it, right? We need advice. We need suggestions. We need creativity. We need new job opportunities. We need to know that we're valued. It's not often easy for hoteliers to accept things because exactly. we're so giving. We're so giving, exactly. Yeah, I give you so much credit, you and Melissa and the rest of the people at Project Safe Hospitality for doing this. Thank you. So King, Kingsley, truly appreciate your time, right? Founder, Project Safe Hospitality, yes. also a hotelier, a director of sales and marketing, an account yes. director, most importantly, committed to helping those in need. And if people would like to reach out to you, Kingsley, besides Project Save Hospitality, um, appropriate to connect with you on LinkedIn? Yes, please. I accept almost everybody. Um, you know, and it's been great. People reach out to me just to say hello, to ask questions, to send their resume. So please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to listen to your issues or to hear your comments. You can also feel free to email us as Project Save Hospitality team at gmail.com as well um, but there's no question um, too small reach yeah. out we're here to help we're here to to you know be a shoulder for you to lean on honestly we don't always have the answers but we're ready to listen uh, well Kingsley again I'm, I'm so grateful for having the chance to be able to chat with you today for share some learnings about what you're doing hopefully to inspire many of our thousands of listeners and I'm going to spell your last name and first name Kingsley K-I-N-G-S-L-E-Y and Egbuchanam, E-G-B-U-C-H-U-N-A-M. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Hotelier, Project Safe Hospitality, good gentleman, good guy <laughs> all the way around. But so I appreciate thank you, you, thank you, thank you so much, Kingsley. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.